Welcome to episode 58 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and I will be discussing how the treatment industry uses fear to try and control people today and why that's not effective and how you really do change. We are the co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. We offer two ways to work privately with a Freedom Model instructor. The first is at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat, and we also teach the program via Zoom with our at-home Freedom Model Private Instruction Program. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and thefreedommodel.org and about our at-home private instruction at leaveaddictionbehind.com. All right, so we're going to talk about fear and um, how the treatment industry has used fear to dupe millions of people throughout the last 70 years, nearly 80 years now, um, and uh, into corralling them into a recovery mindset. Right? Where, right, where they always need some sort of help, addiction help, even when you're not using anymore. Um, so try to imagine if you had a disease like cancer, and it's scary, right? Um, and they don't use fear to try to drive you into the hospital because the fear already exists with cancer, right? Because it's real. Yeah, okay? it's real and it's going to kill. And it's something that you have zero control over. That's right. Yeah, they don't need to add any extra fear, get in your face, and That's say you better point. get into the hospital. That's right, and and convince you. Yeah. And uh, coerce you, and manipulate you, and frighten you to say you better get, you know, yeah. help. Um, they they don't do that, and uh, so the question becomes. If, if this was truly a disease, like treatment portrays, why is it that it takes so much strong-arming, right? right? Yeah. Why, does, why do they literally have to... Um, why is there an alternatives to incarceration program where the only way people are going to... A majority of people that go to treatment are, are corralled by avoiding prison. So you're looking at either going to prison or you go to treatment and, and still yeah. you're like, you're still deliberating. You're like, ah, oh, geez. Jesus, rehab. I just do my time. Yeah. And just get on with things because you're thinking in your head, the recovery thing is like forever. I'm forever yeah. at the mercy of meetings and sponsors and all of this baggage that goes with the whole recovery nonsense. I, I don't know if I'm going to jump too far ahead with this. I didn't know this is where you're going with the topic, you know, but um, it's crazy because um, you want, you, you line right up to get cured of some kind of disease or something. Right. Once I, I found out I really needed a, a tonsillectomy, like, go ahead, put me under that knife. Let's get yeah. it done with. Why? Because on the other side of this, right, things are going to be better. <laughs> yeah. And if and you know, obviously, people don't believe that on the other side of quitting, things are going to be better. Especially, or they would sign right up for the. They, there would be no strong arming, right? That's right. Especially what they're selling, is that it's going to be a struggle. <laughs> Yeah. And and every day for the rest of your life. It's going to be they even frame it. Think about this, a battle. So, here you <laughs> An have an ongoing lifelong battle. If if cancer was like that, 
I, I can't imagine people could withstand it, right? If, if, if the treatment was, listen, you're going to battle cancer forever. Forever, yeah. And you, you think at to, least this course of chemo is going to come to that, an end. That's right. That's, mm-hmm. right. that's why you're willing to go through the hell that is chemotherapy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it comes to an end. There's, it's got a, it's finality, you know? Um, but with treatment, uh, drug and alcohol treatment, they play both sides of the fence. Now think about this. They say that the drug that they're trying to convince you to stop using is the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Right. It self-medicates you. Yes. It provides pleasure that that outweighs any other possible natural pleasure. And now, yeah. and so, so, it's ruined your brain. So you can't even experience something that might be more that. pleasurable. So this is the best thing for you. And then, <laughs> oh, and by the way, you have to quit it. Yeah. And never have it again. You never even can think about it again. Right. I yeah. mean, that is the worst sales job yeah. ever yeah. In, in the history of sales. So then we have, you know. And, uh, actually, what, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in. In what year do I don't know if you know this or not, so I'm putting you on the spot. But what year did they start going after judges and lawyers? I don't know oh, exactly. Because that was year. real that, early that, they started doing it. That, right? that had to be in the hey, 70s. Right? They have, oh, oh, it was no, it's early. Back then. It have, was early. I would they say had in pamphlets the, on it. Yeah, we could so probably would, look up the publication date. I would of the say 45, pamphlets. probably yeah. right around 45. Oh, right. Because right. they started the push. Here's how it all started, and people don't understand the history. It really was the brainchild of Bill Wilson. And even Dr. Bob, the other co-founder of AA, was uncomfortable with the whole sales job. Now, what Bill, Bill actually knew that he had to create a treatment model. He had to call it treatment. He needed this disease idea that was really his, his baby to take off. And the only way to make that happen was he said he was going to have uh, floors on a hospital. It was going to start with a detox floor. Then you went into a rehab where you were rehabilitated. And then you went to what is now considered transitional living. Well, that's what we call it now. And then you were transitioned back into life. And the, the place where they manipulated you, where the sales con job was done, was in the detox where they called it ego deflation at depth. That, that was the process. Now, what ego deflation at depth really was was we're going to crush a guy's spirit and then make him a minion of the person that's crushing you. Make him compliant. That's right. That's right. We needed... So So the whole theory was ego deflation at depth, then you were sponsored in, much like a biker is patched into a club, a motorcycle club. They actually got the model from that. And then... And then you went to the meetings and you went into the rehab. But the problem was is that the hospital model didn't really work because people, when they got out of the detox, when they were finally getting ready to go, they just wanted to leave. Right. Okay? So so Bill was like, ah, oh, there's a fly in the ointment. Shit, this isn't going to work. I can't get people to go from a detox straight into a rehab. Uh, you know, I lose too many. So that's when he came up with this Oxford group thing can work with the meetings. So we'll switch it over to where, ah, I can make a ton of money if I have enough people coming to the meetings and giving the donation. And we'll, we'll say it's free, but everybody kind of donates, and I make right. my money, and I sell my book. And then he realized, ah, oh, but some people do need more formal treatment, so then we'll let the hospitals do that, but I'll have an arrangement with every hospital that my method is what they refer back to. 
So that's how this, and it's still going strong to this day, that exact model. Um, And so originally he wanted it streamlined right down into one building that processed human beings. And human beings aren't that compliant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're They're not robots. You know, that you can't manipulate. But he had figured out a way. The meeting structure is a really remarkable way. But if you look at AA's dropout rate, it's it's really high. Most people don't go continue to meet going to meetings. So then he figured out by about nineteen like you were talking, forty five to fifty before the first convention, he had figured out I just need every hospital to join in and push it. Because even though there's a high dropout rate, if we can continue the flow. Fresh meat. Fresh meat, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole working with others chapter came from, which is a cult manual on how to recruit and get the family, separate the family out, you know, right. make the family feel guilty. And they're not really at fault, but they kind of are. You right, know, right. That, that whole game. Th- that whole game. And read the big book. If you read it with this idea in mind, you'll see how the whole treatment system was built and how they manipulate people. But it's all predicated on this idea that you are a sick person, you're never gonna get over your craving, and you need somebody else to, to uh, protect you from yourself. And, um, and they do that by driving in fear. Yeah, mm-hmm. by convincing you that you're, you can't trust your own thinking. Yeah, which is really devastating to a human. Yeah. Because the only thing you really have that drives the car is your mind. Yeah. So if somebody can convince you that they know better for how you need to think, if they need to think for you, then you are totally under their control. And Bill had figured that out early. You know, he knew if I can catch him in the detox, him and Dr. Silkworth figured out how to manipulate people. And now we're doing it with probation officers, doctors, uh, therapists, do all this ego deflation and depth. They won't call it that. Right. Mm-hmm. They call it helping. Yeah. You know, but it's the same mean, selfish uh, tactics that Bill used. Now, I don't think that the people, most of the people in the therapy industry, the treatment industry, think like Bill thinks. No, I, I don't I don't think they're, most of those people are out to control someone. I think they genuinely want to help. I think they just have the wrong information. Yeah. They don't even understand that they're controlling people. They don't even understand that through moralism and this whole idea that a person can't control themselves, that they're controlling them, you know, and that they're perpetuating this this cult-like idea. Um, they don't even know that. You know? Well, it's so ingrained in our culture that... So I'm going to go back um, 15, 20 years. When we first... It was 15 years ago. We hired, started hiring people to teach our program that weren't from our program. They didn't they yes. didn't go through yeah. it, right? So so we started hiring these people from from the outside and professional teachers and you know people from healthcare and mental health and stuff and and to try and train people not to control other people while teaching is it pretty difficult. Oh, I I think it's the hardest thing we've ever I don't even I don't even know if we succeeded very often. No, we I'm not to, sure we did. We had to let a million of them go through the years because um, the the desire to control is so almost it's human. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, you, you don't know as good as I do. I know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. And look, at there's probably people listening right now that are thinking, well, my husband's drinking himself to death, so he doesn't know what's good for him. Right. And and don't don't necessarily assume that's true because it, it it's not an either or situation. He, he, what he knows is is he feels like he needs alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what he knows. He's got limited information. And exactly. Even though he knows it's physically bad for him. Yes. Somehow, in some other way, he, he believes he needs it and that it benefits him in some other way. Exactly. Yeah, so it's not it's not one or the other. Exactly. Right. So, so the so the goal is to give someone all of the information, and allow them. Then most people do come to the conclusion: maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Maybe I do want to make this change. I definitely don't want to die. Right. You know, if 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 maybe maybe alcohol is it. Maybe I don't need it. Um, and so but, so nobody wants to give people the opportunity yeah. to figure that out, right? Yeah. Um. No, you, you, you take it as a given that this person should quit because, of course, it's rational and logical given, you know... That what you're watching. Mm-hmm. That this woman's husband is killing himself. It's, it's rational and logical that he should quit. So you kind of assume that and then you, you speak on those terms. Um, with regard to, you know, not being able to... Having a hard time training that out, right. out, out of people. I think the other problem is... I'm sorry if this is like a, a detour or something, but is that, you know, not only has like society being conditioned, you know what I mean? Like that we sort of take this as a given. The person who comes in, a lot of them are asking for, tell me what yes. to do. Some, no. some will say it flat out that way. Tell me what to think. Tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, um, but... It's subtle a lot more often. So you, you try to train an instructor to to teach this program without Im- imposing the conclusion. And that's what we mean by not controlling, right? Yeah, right. Yes. That, and we're not going to impose the conclusion, you must abstain forever, or you are a person that can drink uh, two beers on Friday. Like, we're not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, we're, we're, we're not trying to... Say you have to you have to do this or that. And um, so we're, we're trying to train it out of people, but then... This, the the student or the guest is asking for that and it's very hard to be in that position but but the problem is is they're evading yet again finally taking responsibility for their choices and doing that and so you you have to resist doing that it's like no I'm not going to tell you what to do I'm not going to tell you what's right for you what's wrong for and, you and, and, I mean we're going to talk about <laughs> ideas right and hopefully you take those ideas you know, toss them around with your experience and see if you can you can find a way to make a different choice. You know, what I mean, that it's like I, I I could tell you don't ever take heroin right now because guess what? There's a lot of fentanyl going on in the streets, so I would just <laughs> totally stay away from that. And you know, I can tell you that. <laughs> and then, are you going to walk out on the streets and feel that? Right. You know, or, or are they going in their mind? Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they might think that for that moment, for that, yeah, and yeah. then go back out and go. I'd really like to get high right now. Yeah. yeah. So I need you to find your answer. Is the heroin high or the fentanyl high? Is is that so valuable? Right. right. Is it is it still as fun as it used to be? I need you to find that answer, and I, and I can't impose it. Um, 
And and so, but yeah, that's a, that's a great example too of how fear doesn't work. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah heroin uh, addiction rates have not gone down, and so we've had this fentanyl problem since at least. Like 2015 yeah. is when it's st- that's if you look at the CDC numbers and overdoses. I think 2015 is is where the fentanyl really started hitting the streets and killing people, and it became known pretty quickly when I think like that was the year that that overdoses jumped by like 15 or 20 thousand. I I, yeah. I don't yeah. remember exactly what it was, and it's been climbing a little bit ever since. And and so we've been living with this fear, and yet it hasn't stopped people from going on the street to buy heroin. The the numbers haven't gone down with heroin. Right. There's obviously there's people that have gotten over the problem in that amount of time, but it hasn't stopped new people from coming in either. Well, even. let's let's talk about the fact that fear doesn't doesn't uh, motivate, right? People don't really understand that fact. So the question is. Uh, we, we risk life and limb every day of our lives when we get in a car. Yep. Right? That's, a, that's just a, an example I use over and over again. Um, we don't even think about it. But we all know somebody who may have died or got seriously injured uh, in a car. That's right? true. I mean, it's, and, it's, and if you've been around a car accident where something like that has happened, it's pretty horrifying, you know, to yeah. see somebody die or whatever. Um, and yet... And yet we, we get in a car with that, with impunity. We don't even think about it. Right. So fear, and I looked at this over the last 30 years of helping people, and I've heard every conceivable story of why somebody should stop drinking and drug. When you deal with, you know, nine, ten thousand people who, who have who have drank and drugged heavily, you've heard some pretty bad oh, shit. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And yet, immediately after telling me a terrible story, they'll tell me how much they want to get high. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, so the question becomes, why is that? And we looked at it, and fear motivates for a little while. And, and the best way that I can explain it is fear will change the trajectory of one's life. So imagine you're a pinball, and when that pinball bounces off the bumper, that's what fear does. Mm-hmm. You know, the pinball's moving one direction, you have something happen that makes you frightened and scared, mm-hmm. and your trajectory turns. But it doesn't mean that the that the ball isn't stopping, you know, it doesn't stop yeah. and, and then become static and think about it. It's not like that. You you just get high again, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so what happens is fear will stop you for a little while, but then you'll be motivated. And if you don't have new information, that is, you're motivated to do drugs because of the benefits that you're right. getting. And then something bad happens. It changes the trajectory a little bit. But then you start thinking, I like those benefits. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly yeah. the fear just melts away. You know, the fear just melts away. In the presence of a benefit, a fear will melt away. You can't have both. You might have both for a very short period of time, but eventually the motivation will win out. So it's important then to really look at the situation and say, okay, the drug has this benefit. You perceive this benefit. Is there something, some other type of use like absence or moderation that gives better benefits? Now, I know we've said this a million times, but it's it's the key. It's sort of the linchpin to changing your preference. If you still believe that the drug has all these benefits, you're always going to go back to it because that's right. how a human is motivated. They're not motivated by fear and consequences. Yeah. You know? So all it really takes 
is instead of instead of trying to scare yourself because even when we have people come to the retreat and we start talking to them about this stuff invariably they they usually go back to well i i have to quit drinking because my i have cirrhosis or yeah, I, so I, so why why bother talking about right the benefits and why i'm i just have to I just have to. Exactly. That's how you shut it down. It's and I, so I, fun. Yeah. It's so hard when you run into that. I'm sorry. Well, I'm here's so the so thing. I, I have had people call me. I We had a woman come through about a year ago. And I, you know, and she was like, you have to tell me that I can't drink. Oh, I, I've had that. Yeah, you know, and I said, yeah. I said, well, haven't you already been told that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, how many are, times have you been told that? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> enough that you're saying it. You're saying it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would say, I, I said, well, you can, because you are. So that's 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 kind of a red herring. That That's not, I, I can say it to you, but it, it's meaningless because it's a lie, number one. Um, and number two, it's not it's not helpful at all. It's not helpful at all. So she goes, well, I, I have to want abstinence. And I said, well, then you come to the retreat. We give you all the information and and maybe we maybe you'll get there. Yeah. You know, that the, the, that's the only way is to really look at this honestly and see what is it doing for me. I think some people are scared to realize that it's not doing anything for them. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that's true. I think they're scared of that and they're they're scared to move on. Because they don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's yeah. it's like staying in a shitty relationship. It's a bad marriage. I yep. used that analogy in a class today. I said, you know, and th- this particular fellow had a divorce under his belt, and I said, you know, now that you're remarried, and, and how is it now? And he said, it's better the second time around, you know. And and I said, I'd I'd imagine that's true because you're divorced and now you're remarried, right? But can you imagine I, if you stayed with that person? Well, I said, wasn't there a period of time? At the end of the relationship where you wanted to go, but you stayed. You wanted to go, but you stayed. You wanted to go, but you stayed. That's a painful place, isn't mm-hmm. it? And he said, yeah. And I said, now compare that to your drinking and your what you're going through right now. Because we're having that conversation. He goes, oh, my God, it is the same. <laughs> and I said, so when you move on and you find the new shiny object, like the new wife, right, or whatever it was that drove you away from that, that mm-hmm. old relationship, there comes a point where it's not hard to stay away from the first wife. Yeah. It's not like you're you're sitting there going, oh, I gotta go back to my first wife and my second. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not like that. You 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 simply have moved on, haven't you? Yeah. And wasn't it hard? Because I I happen to know in this case, this fellow brought it up a number of times, and he said, yeah, it was it was really it was really hard. I said, is it hard now? Right. He goes, no. And he literally paused. And he goes, so you're telling me that it's like that with drinking too? And yeah. That's yeah, like that with drinking too. You get it's not hard. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have to be, but you, you have to build some distance and not be afraid all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You um, have to, yeah, you have to open your mind to the fact that you don't need it. So, so some shinier object in your mind of making this change, that, that being your bright, yes. shiny object, that's what's needed. But instead, what the treatment industry uses to go back to it is, is fear. Yeah. Right. Right. And they say, um, you're going to, you know, you better stop or you're going to die. They say, you're going to lose control if you have a single drink. Right. That's a, that's totally fear-based thing. Yep. You know, yep. so you must just never touch one. You've got an allergy. I mean, they're literally telling us we have an illness, an, uh, uh, an allergy. We have a medical condition. They're lying to us about that. Right. And I'm going to tell you, they've been, they, maybe we don't say that about Dr. Silkworth and Bill Wilson. But anybody after like 1965, 
once it was disproven, they're, they're lying. Yeah. They're, they're literally lying to us, telling us we have a medical condition that we do not have, trying to cre- create a Queen Latifah last holiday situation. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that movie. <laughs> Where thinking that, you know, disaster hangs above us, we'll just go out and, and make the most of it. Last hurrah. And, um, yeah, the last hurrah thing. No, but but they're literally telling us we got a fake medical condition. Then they say we need to be in these meetings every day. And then you go to the meetings every day, and it's a bunch of people saying, here's how bad it was. And when I ask people why they go to the meetings all the time, you know, it's like, well, to remember how bad it was. Yeah. So right. that I won't do it yeah. again. Or Keep how, it green. How bad it could get. <laughs> and even, like, the milder people with milder problems go, well, I... Listen to them, so they'll scare me straight. And and mind you, these are people coming to me because that's not working, okay? But but they're still, like, going to meetings, you know? You get those on the Skype Skype ones. You get that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And and so... So that... that, And this is... This doesn't happen as much lately. Um, I'm sorry, I'm veering from... No, it's okay. But you know what? It's 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 like the people want it as much as the industry is using it. That's you know, right. Like, That's right. And and so, but you have no industry if you didn't have customers. Well, yeah. <laughs> and and so I saw this all the time. Way back in the retreat, people would have their addiction memoirs out, a million yeah. little pieces. That was yes. a big one at the time. Oh, yes. But there would be a lot of different ones. You would always see this at the Hageman retreat, which was, and I think it's because it's a bigger capacity. And you have a bigger audience, you're going to put on more of a show. I, yes. If that, sounds, yes. if that sounds rude, but I don't see people walking around um, the executive, the, the retreat we're in now, yep. right, which is six people max. I don't see them walking around advertising the memoirs that they're reading. But when I would see that back in the day, um, you know, I always ask people why, and it's the same reason for why they right. go to the meetings, is I'm reading this to scare me straight. And, 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 you know, it's like, yet you're still struggling because we're here. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, people are willing to implement this strategy and, and I think they're willing to implement the fear strategy because what they think is their drug, whether that be alcohol, heroin or whatever, is the most amazing fucking thing on earth. <laughs> and the only reason you wouldn't do that is because... There's a really bad consequence to it, right. you know. And right. I, I put a couple, I like that really is. And nobody would ever put it in those words. They won't say it in those words, but that's what's there. And I put a couple of questions in the workbook to kind of root that out. And I don't know that it kind of it maybe goes over people's heads, but I'm like, but one of the questions is maybe, and it's maybe worded weirdly, is like, can you imagine? Why would a person? who knows they can moderate, <laughs> still choose to abstain. And people struggle like hell with that question. Right. You know, how could you know you that, that you're capable of moderation? You do not have this, 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 in, in this uh, imaginary um, allergy. So you could moderate. How could you know that and not moderate? It's very simple. You get fucking bored of it. You could get yeah. bored of drinking. You find out it wasn't as great as you thought it was. Or the 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 benefit is just so marginal that given like let's say, you know, you've been you've been smoking weed forever, it's okay now. And your wife wants you to stop because of the kids. And uh, you don't really want to stop. You're like, oh that's pretty good. 
but you're like, that's so minimal compared to how important it's going to be to my wife. Right. You know, she mm-hmm. thinks we really got to not. And, and then it's, it's easy to put down. So you could know you're capable of moderation. You're like, it's, it all has to do with the, the weighing out of how beneficial is this. And, um, and so mo- there's plenty of people all over the world that know they could use drugs, but don't. No, right. they could drink, but don't. And yet, when I ask that to people, it's, they draw a blank. Yeah. How could you know you can use, but not? Well, then you got a serious problem. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you like it you an think awful it's lot. <laughs> de facto, objectively, the best freaking thing in the world. It, every person on earth would want to be doing it, and like at all times. Okay, when that's, yeah, that's maybe a warped perception of things. Uh, yeah, well, it's warped Our, because we have studies that show that it's warped. You know, yeah. If, like, like, and I'll mention this in case you you haven't the listeners haven't heard it, but they had the study where they injected the the people with. 150 people with morphine, and only three of them asked to be re-injected. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But when you poll people and you ask them that question, like, how many do you think got asked to be re-injected? Almost always, by the way, when I ask that question, they're like, I don't know, like 100? Yeah. And I'm like, three. They're like, no. (laughs) No. But that's to your point. How how is that possible? Because drugs are the most amazing goddamn thing in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, uh, sorry, I, I sound like I'm beating up on people, but no. uh, but the the main point I wanted to come back around to is that's the reason why fear is the de facto solution in their minds, and nobody and and it's weird because like people who work in the industry that don't use or have never used whatever particular drug. You know, they have these opinions, and you hear it from parents, too. Right? I do. You've said it. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, I would never try heroin because I know it's the best thing on earth, and I yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, and so they like, genuinely think that They kind it. of hold that opinion. I just, I wouldn't go there. I was smart. I didn't go there. That's that's yeah. really what they're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. You were too I would have liked it way and you, too much. And you got yourself addicted. And, um, <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> you know, but, but they sort of hold that opinion, and um, they, in their own lives... Um, if they drink a little bit or whatever, and they use it as a stress reliever after a hard day of work, but they don't have a problem, they don't they don't want to face the idea that it's not really a stress reliever. That's that's foreign to them. Yeah, you know what I mean. That is true. so. So they hold on to the myths about drugs themselves, or if they've had a loved one with a problem, or they've had a problem themselves, they gotta hold on to the myths. Right, because people grab onto the myths. Uh, because if you can say, well, "I needed this for my depression," "I needed it for my anxiety," then you don't feel so bad about whatever bad things you did while drinking, or you, it's or, true. or you know yeah. what I mean. So, so you want to hold on to that just because it's an excuse. So, you, and it's, so there's all these weird ways the industry and the public keeps on reinforcing these bogus ideas about drugs being the best thing on earth and nobody wants to really confront it with people and say like you know their drugs are okay yeah <laughs> you know like, <laughs> not they, they don't really do all this magical stuff but they do something that could be a little amusing and and there you go you know they no nobody really wants to confront that so instead we just try to scare people with the consequences and um and it's, you know, but what works in the short run um, immediately doesn't always work in the long run. Because it's not based in motivation. 
No. So that what you're describing is, once again, we bring it right back to how are humans motivated? Will fear motivate somebody? Ask the guy who goes to prison, gets out, and, you know, 8 out of 10 go back to prison. They say yeah. it's the worst experience ever. I mean, your freedom is gone, right? Yeah. right? You're a captured human being. You have no rights. You know, you're in a violent atmosphere mm-hmm. of gray steel and cinder block, yeah. right? And you say, I'm never coming back to this place. They all say, I'm never coming back to this place. Within two months, 80% are back. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so that's as bad a consequence based on your actions as you can get. And yet, most of those people end up back there. Right. You know? um, so fear doesn't motivate somebody to change their behaviors because when they get out, they do the same exact things that got them there the first time. They rob a store, they go out to the corner and they get their drugs and they get caught, they beat their wife, they do whatever it was or some other crime and they end up right back in the same place. So fear and consequences, negative motivators only last, in the case of prison, for a couple of months. Yeah. You know, and that's as bad a consequence as it gets. I mean, death is probably the next thing on the, on the calendar for that person. So, and, and here's the thing, even the people that do change, the people that do change, that fear motivator had to shift for them to make that change. And, and let's talk about that. That's a great point because where it shifts in the AA person is they just traded up the bar for AA meetings, right? So now they have, they said, you know what, I'd rather be at an AA meeting or with these recovery center yes. people. And I would they rather They found do some that. folks they like, they yep. have fun with. Yeah. 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 So their motivation becomes positive. Oh, I, I think I can be happier doing this for now. And and even and even if it's just going to meetings every day and trapping yourself and not moving on with your life, it's still even in those situations, the hardcore treatment goer, the person that buys into recovery, they buy in because that's the way they want to define themselves. Yes. And we, I was just talking to a guest two days ago about this. He said, you know, what are the successes in AA? And I said, it's somebody that buys into the cult. It's somebody that buys in and says, I. I accept. I can make this my life. I can make my lack of freedom in meetings, this insulative sort of isolated life is better than me being out there killing myself on drugs. And you know what? I get that. I did that. Yeah. I did did it. I did Mm -hmm. that for a period of time. I I liked being at meetings more than I liked being out uh, in a trailer with a bunch of cokeheads drinking my brains out. Right? Right. and, And so... It was a it was a trade off, and the benefits of being in the meeting were better. Eventually, mm-hmm. the benefits of being outside the meetings and having my life expand were better than the meetings, and I yes. outgrew those. Yeah, and I outgrew the the life of a of a drug addict and an alcoholic. Right, so I I walked out of that, and anybody can, but some people don't want to. I've I've had people come to the retreat, and they say, you know what, I want to, I, I really. What am I going to do? What aftercare do you have? And I, th- I want to pull my hair out. I'm like, oh, we talked endlessly about there's no aftercare. You know, yeah. there's just moving on. And then I've learned through the years to go, you know what? Let's say the person's name is Tom. I said, Tom, I get it. You, you want there to be some charade and structure that you're going to participate in. Something to, you know, hang on to. And if you want that, okay. Just you can do whatever you need to do, but you don't need it. I just want you to know you don't need it. You can move on outside that structure and just move on in a self-expansive life. You can. and But some people are just frightened of that. You know, they've been so feared into believing they need some sort of structure to stop themselves that even with the freedom model, they're just not willing to take that leap. You know, and that's always hard for me to see. But it's rare. 
yeah. most people want to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're coming up to uh, 35 minutes or so. So I think we can end there. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior problem, or you want help moving past recovery, we encourage you to call us at 888-424-2626, or you can reach us through our website, thefreedommodel.org. At thefreedommodel.org, we offer many free resources, including videos, these podcasts, and eBooks. Digital editions of our books are available for free to our podcast listeners at thefreedommodel.org forward slash products. Use coupon code freedom100 at freedom100 at checkout for the Freedom Model for Addictions and Family 100 for the Freedom Model for the Family. And paperbacks of our books are available on Amazon and other online retailers. And if you need detox, you can call our friends at Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. And they will help you. Bye, everybody. Bye.